They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest, Jerry Oars, is an actor, director, producer, youth activist, author of the book Lucky or Not. Here I Come, his first novel, which is released this month. Jerry has won a swag of awards and has his own production company. Oh, and he's 15 years old. (laughs) While (laughs) many kids are struggling to work out what they want to be when they grow up, Jerry's just getting on with it. Jerry, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Now, uh, before we start chatting, can I ask you please to open the show just by reading a little from Lucky or Not, Here I Come? Of course. So the page I'm going to be reading for is Chapter 3, and I'm not going to give any background information. I'm just going to begin reading. Right. And this is the beginning of the chapter. On his 21st birthday, John received a nice check from his parents, a funny and encouraging postcard from Jack, and a beautiful poem from Jenny, illustrating by her own drawings, which lately were getting rather good. This year, his birthday fell on Saturday, and even though it was a day off, Charlie asked him to stop by for a few minutes to review some papers that were due Monday. Since since John recently bought a decent used car from a friend of Charlie's who was leaving town, it was no trouble to run by the store. As John walked into the library Saturday of the building, he was so surprised at how quiet it was. Oh yeah, they closed the doors this weekend so they could finish the repairs in the main hall. He marched toward the office but found it dark and locked. John felt a bit annoyed at Charlie, not only for dragging him over here on his birthday, but also because he hadn't showed up. John was about to leave, but then it occurred to him that Charlie was never late and never a no-show. John got an uneasy feeling in his stomach as he started to get a bit worried now and decided to look around. It also seemed strange that there was no workmen anywhere in the building, it also seems strange that there are no workmen anywhere and the building was still and quiet. He decided mentally made a note to have a chat with the foreman on Monday. They would never finish construction on time if people didn't show up for work. He made his way over to the main building but found that the doors were locked and no sign of anyone around. As he pulled his keys from his pocket, John peeked into the parking lot, hoping he would see Charlie's car in his reserved spot, but it was empty. Sighing, John opened the door and walked into the dark room. Interesting how even big, familiar spaces feel spooky in the dark, he murmured to himself, while he felt along the wall to the left of him for a light switch. When he found something, he pressed it, and immediately realized it felt like somebody's fingers and jumped aside. The owner of the hand quietly exclaimed, Oi! and suddenly the entire room was lit up. John's jaw dropped, and he saw a lot of people all around him wearing silly hats, waving at him, and singing Happy Birthday. Charlie laughed and patted him on the shoulder, and John's parents came over to stand next to him, smiling widely. Then he saw one of his co-workers, Pitt, waving in the distance, and John happily waved back as Jack stepped to the front, gave him a hug, towering over him with a six-foot-four frame. Bro, you got so big. You must be at least five-foot-ten by now. Oh my god, Jack, how did you get here? I flew in early this morning, and your boss here was ordering me all around all day, getting all this ready. Jack waved his hand and only... Then John realized that the entire room was decorated with quotes from his favorite books, all encouraging and inspiring, some of them funny. 
You didn't think I'd miss the opportunity to have the first drink with me? Of course, who are all these people? John turned to Charlie. Ah, I'm glad you asked. Some of them work here, but once the rumor was out that our little John was becoming a big John, everybody in the neighborhood wanted to come and sing you a song. I think we gave you a heck of a surprise, added Charlie, giving John a friendly pat on the back. You almost gave me a heart attack, John smiled, and they all came because of me? John nodded. But I don't do anything special. I'm not some kind of hero or celebrity. Why? John felt his cheeks getting hot and red as always when attention was on him. But I told you before, sometimes little things lead to big outcomes. In the last three years, you've helped everyone in the room in one way or another. Payback time, bud, and this is your Super Bowl. Charlie yanked something from behind his back as did a few others, and John was showered with champagne from every angle. Couldn't help but laugh while jokingly fighting with Jack. The party continued for five hours. Everybody was enjoying themselves and not in a hurry to leave. Mom, how did you manage to cook all this food without me knowing? This is ridiculous, John gestured at the table with all his favorite dishes were piled up. Mom lovingly ruffled his hand. Grandma Ann's kitchen. Thank goodness you were such a busy guy, and Charlie made sure to keep you extra busy and away from everyone this whole week. By the way, it was his idea and mostly his execution. We just brought the food and lent him Jack to hang some decorations this morning. John looked gratefully at his box who, boss who was galloping around the room with Jenny, unsuccessfully trying to get into the rhythm of a popular song. As it got darker outside, people started to say their goodbyes. John insisted on helping to clean up the place, then made his way to his car as it got completely dark. He found his keys in one of his pockets after some struggle, and it was about to open the car when he heard some light footsteps behind him, and someone softly called out his name. John turned around and found himself face-to-face -face with Lily, a cute, petite redhead from the coffee stand. She had been flirting with John on and off for months, but now having any, not having any experience with women, John wasn't sure how to respond and usually just put on a strict look at his passersby. Now, with her eyes very close to his, he could smell a light scent of lavender coming from her hair. Felt a hot wave covering him, and he silently thanked the darkness for hiding his blushed cheeks. What are you doing here? he asked in a voice he didn't recognize himself. He wanted to give you one more birthday gift. Mine. Petite Lily reached for his cheeks and pulled him to her lips. For the next few minutes, John felt lost and wonderfully dizzy. He answered her kiss, pulling her closer and closer and hoping it would never end. Somehow they ended up in the backseat of the car and John completely detached from reality. Two hours later, he pulled up to the complex where Lily rented an apartment for it with a few roommates. It started to rain, and as he opened the door on her side, John decided to be a real gentleman and covered Lily's tiny frame with his jacket to walk her to their door. The final kiss of the night continued almost as long as the first one, till Lily realized John's back was getting soaking wet. They whispered their goodbyes, and she ran up the stairs. John took a few steps back and smiled once he saw her window light up. He threw his hands around and did a wild dance in the rain for a few minutes before he heard Lily's voice above him. John, do you always dance in the rain or only on your birthday? She giggled. Bearish John smiled as her from under the tree. He jokingly bowed and raised his hand above his head to wave. Didn't quite understand what happened next. He heard a loud bang right above his extended arm, saw a bright flash, felt extreme pain, then plunged into dark silence. So um, that's a good passage because I think it covers quite a lot of the themes from the book. Um, you know, one of them, and I think this is a overwhelming and it strikes me throughout the book, is the notion of, of um, you know, camaraderie or friendship. Um, and, and that comes very clear between John and Charlie, this sort of ongoing friendship and, you know, the power of friendship as well to transcend 
what happens to you. I, I definitely agree, and I think if it wasn't for the friendships and the, and very importantly the families that were around John Huey, I'm not going to spoil anything, but so much happens to him throughout his life, and it wasn't for the people around him, he wouldn't have been able to get through any of it. And I think, like you said, that that passage alone shows it well that John did so much himself, but the people around him did so much as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like, for example, it, it made me think of um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and how <laughs> whenever he gives a speech, um, you know, he begins by saying, uh, I'm not a self-made man. And I think you can apply that as well to John. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely similarity right there. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, this also um, something that you explore, I think, continually through the book is the notion of luck and, and chance and, you know, what happens to us and what we do with what happens to us and the relationship between those two things. I mean, obviously, the, the number of, I, I guess, life-changing instances that happen to John is, is quite extraordinary, but how he, you know, the, the type of person that he is, I think, is meant to be very ordinary. He says that many, many times. You know, he's not an outstanding student. He's not a, you know, superhero athlete. There's nothing that he does that makes him, him different. And yet it's, I guess, his ordinariness and his, his goodness and the way he approaches all of these extraordinary things that happen to him that makes him special. No, I definitely agree. I, we, When I was writing the book, I really wanted John to be a very normal person because I wanted people to feel when they were reading it that no matter what life throw, throws at you, if you handle it the right way, you will come out of it. Because John is a completely normal person. He's not super intelligent. He has no special talents that can help him through this. He's completely normal. Everybody would have something more special than him. And he's able to get through it because he sticks with his family, he sticks with his friends, and he 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 handles things correctly you know he doesn't cut corners he he does things right and he does these things kind and i think my personal feeling is that if you treat others with respect others will treat you with respect and you'll have a more pleasant life and i think that john's story shows that the best yeah and it seems to me that you know the the idea which is quite an old fashioned idea i i guess of kindness just simple kindness is one that that still needs to be told. <laughs> the story. I definitely happens. agree. Mm. More, maybe more so than ever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, Jerry, you were already winning awards for your film and your acting. Um, your films and your acting. What made you decide it was time to write a novel? So, at first, look, you're not here. I come wasn't meant to be a novel. At first, it was meant to be a treatment because I love the ideas that I. Wrote love the stories that I was hearing around the world of these people who just like John in real life though had these amazing lives where both extraordinary and devastating things happened to him and I wanted to tell that story in a film but as I was writing the treatment it became more and more and more like a novel and I decided that this would make such a fantastic read for people and I hope it would be able to inspire people so I just set it around, I'd say, halfway through to convert it to a full-fledged novel, and that's what it became. Mm. So do, do you feel like, um, I guess, writing a novel as well as being a filmmaker um, is really giving you, I guess the, the two things are in some ways different, but also in some ways complementary, that you, you're seeing oh. a different side of a coin that maybe as a filmmaker you might have drawn upon, now you've done it. 
For sure, definitely for sure. A filmmaker cannot film anything unless they have something to base it off. And you can try to go around it, but always the best stories, the best films, were based off a good treatment or a good script. So I think being able to write is always going to be a very important part of filmmaking, no matter how good your skills are elsewhere. If you don't have a solid basis to film something off, you can't film anything. Yeah, and I suppose there's a lot of uh, material now in in Lucky or Not Here I Come that you can draw from. And you you have already um, you've done a treatment or you're working on a treatment, working on a full scale film as well, aren't you? Uh, yes, I'm right now writing the script for the book, and I hope to eventually make it into a film. Maybe it will be two years from now, maybe ten years from now. But yeah. I would love to see the story of John B on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine there are some challenges with with filming that, but uh, quite an action-packed film as well. Yeah. So talk to me about the characters, especially the siblings, John and Jenny, who I I think the story tends to um, really focus on for for obvious reasons, which I won't reveal. Um, Were they inspired by anyone in particular? Uh, Not particularly. I wanted to have a very good relationship between at least two of the siblings. I myself have an older brother. We have a fantastic relationship. I love him, and we always have fun. And I I wanted to have a positive relationship. I'm not going to spoil anything, but there are two siblings. John has two siblings, and that made a perfect middle sibling problem. But I didn't want him to have a great relationship with both of the siblings, and I wanted something to happen to either of them to show that being perfect in every way doesn't mean you won't you will have a perfect life. So I think that is why I kind of made John and Jenny friends. And also another reason is that for quite a few times in the story, Jenny's the only person there for John. When these horrible things happen to him and his parents aren't available for him, Jenny's the one who helps John get back up on his feet and and continue his life. And I think that means a lot because eventually John will do the same for Jenny and they will be able to live happily together as brother and sister and close together because they help each other and because they have such a close connection that way. Mm. Yes, it's, uh, it's always nice to see good sibling relationships as well. That's just the mother and me speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one other character, and again, I don't want you to give anything away, but one other character that really struck me was the mysterious Theo, <laughs> um, the guy who appears in the church. There's a, I guess there's a kind of spiritual element to the novel as well, which Theo encapsulates. Can you talk just a bit about him? Definitely. I didn't really want to leave the book with absolutely no explanation of what happens to John. Like, it just happens and there's no real reason because it does. these things do happen in real life, but I wanted in the book to have some sort of mystical meaning behind it. And that's where I came up with Theo. In Overall, I think Theo is based off the famous actor Morgan Freeman. I just really felt like he displayed the characters that I wanted for Theo, so I, I based not only his looks, but his personality, how he speaks a lot off Morgan Freeman. And I have to thank Morgan for that, for being such a legendary actor and for me being able to base a character off him. And I I didn't want to just say this is what happens, and I don't say this is what happens, but I just wanted to leave a question in the reader's mind that maybe there's more to the story. Maybe there is this concept of destiny and fate that John has. Yes, I, I totally saw Morgan Freeman as well when I was reading it. So you did a good job of channeling him. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, 
you started writing when you were six, um, probably about the same time you began to read, um, and you produced your first film at nine. Um, can you talk me through the steps you took from, you know, say reading a book like Little Bear or Hop on Pop, and then moving into deciding that you could not only write, but, you know, publish books and produce your own films? Well, I learned a lot over the last few years, for sure. But when I first started writing when I was very young, I just tried to make the most imaginary stories I could. And I just wanted to explore those ideas as a little kid. When I got a little older, when I was nine or 10 or years old, and I started filming, I, it was actually a funny story. I at first wanted to be an actor because I love films my whole life. I love to read, but I also love films. I want to be in some part in them. So I tried to be an actor. I did enjoy it very much. I decided, well, if I love writing stories, maybe I should try filming stories as well. So I started filming some stories, very basic things, but eventually I tried making some bigger productions, and I had people who helped me so much along the way because I had no idea what I was doing. And it kind of just blossomed from there. After I started filming, I really fell in love with that, and I kept writing that whole time, and it kind of just kept getting bigger and bigger, and now I just finished writing this book. I hope to continue writing novels and I hope to still continue filming uh, short films and maybe eventually feature films as well. Is, is your school supportive? Do you find that, you know, you're able to get extra time or, um, or do you just have to work around your schoolwork? Oh, my school is very supportive. I currently go to Capistrano Connections Academy, which is an online school and they cannot be more supportive. Whenever I need something, they I can just contact my teachers and they will take care of it. They'll rearrange my schedule for me. They are definitely a fantastic school. I recommend them for anybody looking for an online school in Southern California area. And they are just so wonderful. I've never had any problems with them. I, w I had to miss weeks at a time because I had huge productions. And my teachers worked with me for months to make sure that I never fell behind. And if it wasn't for them, I probably would have missed a lot of opportunities because there are a lot of schools out there who have very strict schedules and eight hour school days are definitely hard if I want to do a week of filming, for example. Yeah, I mean, related to that, and you know, as a parent, I, I have to say, and I'm sure you get tired of hearing it as well, um, how impressed mm -hmm. I am by your list of accomplishments already. But, um, and, and related to the school question, do, do you think that society's attitude to young people and the whole notion of, you know, when you grow up, um, and preparing people to actually do things when they grow up um, needs to change, that you know, we need to be more flexible and open to the contribution that young people can provide right now? I think it age. needs to change. I, I think it needs to change, but I think it's already changing. It's definitely a lot better than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. When the great directors that are currently here today, like Steven Spielberg, James Cameron, those people, when they were kids, they didn't have things like YouTube or smartphones or cheap $20 camcorders. If they want to film something, it took a lot more to them than that, and they couldn't just upload it on the internet. It was a lot more difficult to just get it out to the mass like that. So I think that thanks to technology, we are already seeing that where kids have more of a voice. And I think it's going to get bigger and bigger. I know a lot of companies are in different fields, not only in entertainment, are giving more kids more of a voice because I'm a strong supporter that the next generation is the one who's going to take care of the world. So we should let them have a voice in what happens to the world because they're the ones that are going to be living from those decisions. So I am happy to see that the world is 
going towards that direction so far. It's not even stopping. And I hope to see maybe eventually that there will be internships for younger kids. I know that I myself, as a 15-year-old, I've been trying to get an internship for different film companies. And it is a lot trickier because I'm only 15. They look for 16, 17, 18 or up. And there's a lot of more issues with that I'm working on the set due to legal laws. And I think that there, there needs to be some changes, but it's already heading in that direction, luckily. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to see and, and hear. Um, you've also done a lot of work um, to educate the public and other kids about the impact of bullying. Um, do you feel that, you know, again, from a societal point of view, that our notion of normal needs to change, that, you know, we have to broaden our acceptance as a society, um, and again, more so than ever, of the whole diversity of skills and approaches to living and learning and, and producing? For sure. I definitely think that bullying is probably one of the best examples of that. For a very long time, bullying schools was just thought, thought as normal as going to school, and you just experienced it, and there's nothing you can really do about that. But it's clear recently, as much as now, that it is a major issue, and it's not normal to have kids ending their lives so young and so horribly just because they didn't enjoy life just because of things that are happening in school. You know, schools are supposed to be a place where you learn, where you socialize, where you develop. It's not supposed to be a place where you dread. So I think not only do we have to better educate kids, we have to make sure that the teachers we hire aren't bullies themselves. Because I had experience with abusive teachers, hateful teachers, and it is just such a horrible feeling to go to school, prepare to learn, but then to be shut down. And to go to school and to be bullied by your peers is also horrible. So I definitely think that society needs to take a hard look at that. And we are kind of taking a harder look on that, but there's still so many problems. And technology is causing a lot more problems with cyberbullying, which is such a major threat. I definitely think that the only people who can really fix that are the big companies like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They're, all, they're only real people who can fix those issues because it's not that easy to just completely fix a generation of people who have hateful intentions. If we want to do that, we need to teach our, our the kids that are raising up now, the kids who are 6 to 12 to 13 years old who are still developing, not to bully, not to be hateful. Yeah, and not to fear difference either because – the, you know, even in a workplace, even in an adult workplace, there are so many different approaches to addressing a problem or to, you know, to interacting or to learning and to get things done. And, and, and you know, you show this in your book quite nicely. Um, we need all different sorts. <laughs> and I think accepting yeah, that, that there are different sorts is, is part of breaking down those bullying barriers, that there's not just a Barbie and Ken kind of ideal and everybody outside that ideal doesn't fit, that, you know, there are different ways of doing things and they're valuable for yeah, my, not in spite of it. Yeah, my opinion and what I see works really well is when you give kids a true story of what happens when bullying occurs. And I also think, like you said, teaching kids not to be afraid of differences is very important. But this goes back to the generational thing where kids learn – a lot from the parents and a lot from schools. So if their teachers are teaching them that difference is evil or if their parents are teaching them that difference is evil, it's going to create a chain of hate that is very hard to break. But it does start at schools and then hopefully the parents will also not teach kids to be afraid of difference and to hate and be violent against difference. So I do hope that 
it will happen in the near future. P the schools are definitely a lot more attempting at it than they were previously. It's still a major problem, especially in the United States and other countries as well. But I, I think it's heading in the right direction. Oh, that's good to hear. You're obviously an optimist, <laughs> like John. <laughs> and, I, and maybe we have to be, right? It, yeah, definitely. Having a positive attitude is a huge, huge benefit. And I think, look, you're not here. It comes shows that very well. So many horrible things John goes through. And although he does grieve and he does have such terrible times in his life, he does stay optimistic and he does stay hopeful. And he never stops working, never stops pushing for a better future. And I think, in a way, that's a giant metaphor for what we need to do as a society. We need to keep pushing, never stop, never get distracted by something else, but keep pushing for a better world. Mm. Yes. So um, tell me, do you have a wish list of things that you're, you're really um, keen to do that you, you would love to do? Or people there's you want to work with? There's definitely kind of a wish list. I, would, I just want to make films that entertain people, maybe educate people about things, but in general just inspire people. Probably currently the next big few things in my wish list is related to education. I hope to go to a USC summer school for uh, filmmaking, and I hope to attend USC once I'm done with high school. And after that, I hope to make my production company much larger to, for it to be able to make feature films. A series that I've always wanted to do since I was a kid to make into films is the Isaac Asimov books. There are just so many good ones, and my favorite is the Foundation series, and I would love to be able to put that on the big screen because, in my opinion, it's one of the best, if not the best, sci-fi series in literature. Brilliant. And, and do you think you might collaborate with uh, another production company or try and, and do that yourself? It's a that big challenge. <laughs> no, I would love to. I have a lot of respect for the big production companies, and I love the films they make. Disney, Universal, my pr favorite currently is Amblin, just because of the amazing masterpieces they have made. Steven Spielberg is definitely a genius, and that company shows it very well. So I would absolutely love to collaborate with other production companies if given the chance. Mm. So, to, and talk to me about your working process. Are you a pantser or a plotter? <laughs> In other words, <laughs> do you work with a tight outline and structure, or do you just write and see where it takes you? So it really depends on what I'm doing. If I'm writing something big, like Lucky or Not, I kind of just wrote as I go. It's, it, I, I try to think about it this way. Since life doesn't really give you a bullet point list of what happens, you should just write as you go. I'm a person who likes to establish the characters, who likes to establish what they would do early on. So I can kind of try and figure out what they would do as characters later in the story when these things happen to him. And I am a person who just likes to really just write freely because I, I enjoy writing and I enjoy making a story, but I don't enjoy keep pushing it forward, doing an outline, expanding it, making sure that everything is correct. I like just jumping in writing and fixing it later. Sure. Throwing an obstacle at your character and seeing how they cope. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. So... Um... I, I can only assume, I have to assume that your, your family as well has been super su supportive of all you've done. Um, are they all film involved in film or are you a, a bit of an outlier in the family? I think my entire family loves film. They enjoy film, but I think I'm the outlier where I specifically want to get into film. The rest of my family is very into computers. My brother is currently, go, is currently studying computer science at the University of Washington. My mother's uh, work in, in related fields. So 
they are definitely more to computers, but they have been really supportive of what I'm trying to do, and they help me in any way they can. They drive me places. They help if I need to buy something new. They help if I need to get some new education or anything like that. Without them, I wouldn't have been able to do anything, and that just shows you that supportive parents mean quite a lot for kids like me who try to do a lot more than no people normally expect from kids. Sure. Yeah, they, they don't say to you, you know, could, could you maybe just finish high school first, mate? <laughs> no, no, they're supportive. If I have an idea, they won't try to shut it down. They will come up with ideas to improve it, and they'll help me make it a reality. That's brilliant. So um, what's on the cards? Like, do you have a, a new project on the boil? Are you working on the, the film for Lucky or Not? I'm working on that in the background, but currently I do have something on my YouTube channel, World According to G, that I'm making. It's actually an animated series, and this goes back to the education idea. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of space exploration and just studying different planets, so I decided to make an animated series, a little more goofy, a little more for children, called Days of Our Rovers, and it's just about what if the rovers we sent to Mars, Opportunity and Curiosity, could talk to each other they have personalities and what if they could experience Mars together and it's going so far I've released the first episode I'm currently working on the second episode they're only about four or five minutes long four or five minutes long and it teaches you about Mars it teaches you about the rovers and what they do but it's also very entertaining it doesn't just sit down and teach you it gives you a story that the rovers go through brilliant so um, what, why don't you, uh, you've got so much material online. Can you just give us a couple of maybe the top two or three links that people can go to to find out more about you? Well, definitely, like I said, I have a channel on World According to G, and almost everything I have ever done is on that channel, from my short films to anything longer I may have posted. But I also have a few websites with more information. You can go to flyingeagleproductions.com or you can go to jerryorris.com. You'll find a lot of information there. But if you want to see what I have worked on, I definitely recommend going to my World According to G channel on YouTube. If you're interested in buying a copy of Like You're Not Here I Come, it's now available on Amazon as well as Kindle and also Barnes and & Nobles and Nook Readers. Fabulous. Um, I will put all those links as well in the show notes. Um, and that's all we have time for today. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us and, and keep on doing such you know incredible, inspiring work. Thank you so much. It was wonderful being on the show. Bye for now.